0: On the government and military side, it really is the Wild West because there is very little regulation or law that's been established in the space environment. And I'm really surprised that it hasn't gotten out of control already, but we've shown a lot of restraint
1: From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. This is the first episode, or just episode zero. In podcasting parlance, episode zero is usually used just for sending out a ping to all the podcast platforms like SoundCloud to let that platform know there is more on the way. Now, it can be long or short, but episode zero doesn't really get much love and attention. But if you're like me, I actually listen to them. So for this episode zero, I'd like to get some ideas and some questions up on the mental whiteboard for you to ponder over to bring you back for more. And to do that, I contacted Jeff Hill. He's a colleague and a space journalist whose day job is being the chairman of satellite. Now that's one of the largest, if not the largest, must attend annual space industry conferences here in the United States. I'm starting up this space podcast, The Downlink. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get your perspectives on, on some things. But before we get there, You know, you're pretty well known in the space circles and you regularly speak with folks in the C-suite of space companies. But for our audience, many of whom are actually involved in space and and also non-space organizations, but they're in the public and private defense sector. And I was wondering if you could just give us a moment and give us a picture of what you actually do. Well,
0: you're right in that I talk to a lot of people. A lot of of my uh, day-to-day is just talking to thought leaders, executive leaders, engineers, policymakers in our industry, because I'm learning every day about how this industry works. And I have to do that because when we put together this program for Satellite, our, our annual conference, it has to be inclusive. You know, there's got to be something for everybody there um, or as many people as we we can accommodate in one event. And when you're planning something that happens every year, a big event, you have to ask people to share what will be relevant to them in like eight months. When you see us put the program online, it's literally what the industry thinks will be relevant at that particular point in time.
1: You know, I'd like to know what trends you're seeing today in space, the space economy and perhaps space and defense.
0: Well, the space economy exists in two realms. So there's the space economy that revolves around the Earth, so the multi-orbit environment, you know, that involves satellites, the International Space Station and civil space. Research and uh, experiments that happen around Earth. And then there's also the economy, the lunar economy and Mars and and everything exists outside of the the Earth's orbit. You know, the total space economy, you know, analysts see this as a trillion dollar industry within a decade. It probably is already a trillion dollar industry because we don't add up all of these different buckets effectively because the scale of our industry is also super huge. But it is an entire world to do business and build in outside of our entire world so like there's like when when we say that companies are building infrastructure for the new future space economy they're literally building another world for industry to exist in so how do you put a number or a value a cap value on that i i think we haven't really figured that out yet i think what drives us to space is our our genuine curiosity and the fact that we've achieved so much already that we were confident we can do these things in space which is which is great you know so so the trend is i mean this it's just going to get the the, the it's just going to accelerate it's going to continue to accelerate with a few road bumps maybe on the way when we encounter challenges we could hit roadblocks because we just because of our inexperience we have done a lot but not that much in terms of we don't have that much experience as much experience as we'd like to think we have in space so we might run into some physics problems that take longer than we thought to solve. or we may, like, for example, going to the moon creates challenges we've never faced before. We're talking physics on a completely different level, but we do have the ability to solve those challenges. So so there's the, that's the purely commercial angle of it. There's been a lot of potential, a lot of growth, also a ton of challenges logistically and with physics and science and as well as cost and risk. On the government and military side, It really is the Wild West because there is very little regulation or law that's been established in the space environment. And I'm really surprised that it hasn't gotten out of control already, but we've shown a lot of restraint and specifically the the world's super military powers have, have given each other space to kind of figure things out. Even during the Cold War, like the space race, yes, was a a matter of national pride and maybe, you know, fuel for the Cold War, but was also, you know, there was a a human element to it where other world powers acknowledged the achievements of others and acknowledged that they happened and responded by trying to exceed those achievements instead of trying to, you know, sabotage or or militarize the, the competition of space as the economic value of space increases. The risk of everything from cyber attacks to militarized space to, you know, space debris uh, and something going, uh, some catastrophe happening, increase naturally um, when there's more at stake. And I think there's a couple of ways that you can approach this from a government military perspective is that there could be international cooperation to sort of maximize the commercial or business value of space for each economy. Or you could go down the route of, of, of sort of elbowing your way into space and, and, and nudging people out of the way and taking a very aggressive stance. But I think, I think there is some truth to that. There's so, much, there's so much value in space for each of these military superpowers right now that if you start to elbow your way into it, um, you put your own assets at risk and there's not enough control that each military power has over its base assets where they could really effectively defend just as much as they could go on the offense. But that could also change with in space robotics. So there's like a whole... It really is like, when I say like, what is people ask me like, what do you, what trends do you see in space? I see a lot, like a ton of opportunity, a ton of positive opportunity, but also like probably the greatest social and technical challenges we've ever faced uh, in history. So just, you know, not much, just that, right?
1: So, I mean, just before we started talking, You mentioned uh, that you had a bit of news that's been going on about SpaceX and its possible valuation due to a private sale of stock. Seeing that we're talking about valuations in space going up, this is something pretty big.
0: Right. Well, first of all, I mean, this was first reported by Michael Sheets at CNBC, who is a fantastic reporter um, who's been breaking lots of news in our industry. So please, all credit goes to Michael for this. But Michael just reported a few hours ago uh, that uh, SpaceX offered a buyout of private stockholders at at a figure that puts the company's valuation at hundred billion dollars, which I believe is a somewhere between 20, I don't have the number in front of me, but 20 and 30% jump, maybe even significantly higher than that. But I mean, previous, I think back in February was somewhere around the 70 70 billion mark. So this is significant because when I first came into the industry, SpaceX was a significant underdog competing against heritage space companies that were much larger and more powerful and had a lot more powerful friends in politics and just a very long history and much, much bigger teams, a lot more resources. And now SpaceX, if this valuation is correct and accurate, means SpaceX is valued at four times NASA's total budget for the year. And probably means that if you took all of the space, specifically the space portfolios of all of those big legacy competitors, it was going up against probably now more valuable than all of those put together minus the private companies that we don't really know. I can't, you know, there are some privately owned competitors, SpaceX that don't share the value of their So I don't know, but SpaceX is clearly the world's leading privately owned space launcher. I mean, should be the most valuable space company. Because not only do you have the world's most active launch commercial launch provider, but you also have the world's largest small satellite constellation on top of that. Then you also have all of the technology it owns surrounding it. Everything is in-house from uh, a ground terminal that is designed and owned in-house to the ship that they use to recover the rockets. this is all stuff they've built and designed in-house with very few partners. So and that, that's a significant this had this change from underdog that no one thought would be successful to by far the established player of the world in 15 years. It's pretty remarkable. What also made me think about was that other industry players look at SpaceX as, you know, the model of agile and innovative they move faster than everyone else. And so to compete with SpaceX, to get there, you have to move faster than SpaceX. And some people tend to forget that SpaceX is also almost 20 years old, and that it only achieved uh, consistent success in the last seven, eight years, which means that more than half of this existence, its existence, it's spent to get to this, even the start of this point. So you know, it takes time to get there. It's not like SpaceX just established itself in 2015. And here we are. It did take time for them to break through. But at the same time, they were the only one that was trying to kind of move against the current at that time when they launched in 2002. Now you have a much larger startup community trying to disrupt uh, the space industry supported by a much larger group of private investors. But just the 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 how much that company has just accelerated and changed in that short period of time, and how it has changed everything around it, um, it's pretty it's pretty remarkable to think about it.
1: Well, if we go back to the to the defense side of things. I mean, SpaceX divides up the uh, DoD's um, launch contracts. They basically split it with uh, United Launch Alliance 60-40. Mm -hmm. Now ULA gets 60%, uh, SpaceX is contracted uh, for 40%, -hmm. or at least for the budget. So yeah, they're established. And they had to actually scrap and fight just to get that. I mean, if you remember, SpaceX actually lodged a complaint with the GAO to uh, open up that launch contracting regime. Yeah. You know, looking forward, you know, what should the defense industry be looking for in space or 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 what issue for uh the defense side of the space house needs to be tackled.
0: I think the defense side of things should acknowledge the speed at which the commercial side moves these days. At the same time, try to figure out how to meet their requirements at that speed. It is possible there's the whole conversation between commercial providers to defense and military and government. There's this whole, like, you know, let us do these things for you faster and cheaper. And, you know, that doesn't always work with military requirements. Right. And there seems to be this clash of like the, you know, meeting the requirements is too slow and the commercial providers can move much quicker. There, there is middle ground. Right. And, the thing is, you know, you have in government and in military, you have such turnover. You might not have the same person working on programs one year to another. So you got to pass that knowledge along. Uh, I think the the military and government should, should figure out a way, how can we get everything we want and need just in that shorter period of time? Because um, I don't think the government military has to sacrifice anything on the requirement side. I think it's just a... Could be something as simple as change the way these these um, relationships are handled internally. Maybe keep people on certain relationships longer. Maybe uh, you know we start to get into the sort of you know regulations. I mean, Space Force is actually doing this right now, changing the way these uh, relationships are handled, and they have made significant. The Air Force and and Space Force has made significant changes in the last decade. As to how it interacts with the the commercial industry, I, I would say my the single piece of advice is don't think of the relationship as a need to sacrifice. Think of it as a quicker option where you don't have to sacrifice. You just have to adapt to a different you know process, a different operational process. That's all. Like you just just think of it as a two missions moving at different speeds. How do you sync up to where both sides benefit? from it without sacrificing on security or capability or resilience. That's it, that's my, there's my, I really, I I hesitate to tell government or military officials how to to do their job because I am in no position to tell them how to do their job. I'm just saying that they have more options maybe than they think. There's more they can do.
1: I'd also like to point out uh, to everyone that you know, Jeff, you also have a biweekly p- podcast. It's called yes. On Orbit. The link to which I will cl- include in the show notes. Um, what do you cover in On Orbit?
0: We interview people who are doing interesting things in the industry, and I, I see it as a an interest piece in a magazine. And for those of you who are not familiar with the the term in journalism it's the feature of a magazine that you're supposed to be able to relax and read surrounded by all this really serious stuff. So it's like the piece where you're like, Oh, you know um, you know, this is the thing you like share with your friends and they kind of get it.
1: So you think there's enough room for another podcast, like the downlink? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I was just speaking with Jeff Hill, the chairman of the annual space industry conference, Satellite. That's it for episode zero. Be sure to check back next week for the first official episode. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.